someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you shochu. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in Tokyo, Japan. And with me, as always, in Fukuoka, Japan, is my co host, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and gotta admit, we drink a lot of water. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for a combined three decades and are very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how you doing? Christopher, I'm doing well. I have to say,、uh, New Year's resolutions are holding. And as we talked about in episode 51, I'm being more mindful with my drinking this year. And it's feeling good. It's、uh, making a difference. I highly encourage folks who have thought about it but haven't started to maybe do a little bit of that. It's nice to, to feel refreshed, get better night's sleep, and that sort of thing. So, no complaints. Excellent. Yeah, same for me. Being very, very careful with the number of units per day and checking at the end of the week. And it's, it's definitely down from last year and the year before and all the years before that. So, I'm hesitant to pat myself on the back too early, but Yeah, likewise. Yeah, glad to hear that on your end as well. And、uh, I'm excited about today's episode. It's something that you and I talk a lot about and hadn't found the time to do an episode about, but we'll,、uh, we'll get into that in a minute. Before we get started on the main topic of today's episode, which of course is dilution in spirits, I just want to remind everybody that we have a big party going on on March 26th here in Tokyo, Japan, Yoyogi Park. We're having a Hanami drinking party. That's right. There's going to be draft beer that is brewed and dispensed by Baird Brewing. There's also going to be a whole bunch of shochu and awamori curated by moi. I will have a little pop up bar out in the park. It is a ticketed event, and you need to use the link that is in the show notes to go and grab your ticket. You have until basically. The day before, so that we have our numbers set. It's going to be the biggest one we've ever done. We have people flying in from all over Japan and even from across oceans to come to this party. I know, Stephen, you're going to be there too. So if you want to come and have a drink with us outdoors under the cherry blossoms in the middle of downtown Tokyo with a bunch of other lovely people, then grab your ticket today. Yeah, I will be there、uh, coming up from Fukuoka. And I know that we have a lot of friends that are going to be there. I think it's the Going to be the biggest one yet? By far. I think people are excited about getting back into socializing in public. I have attended one of these in the past. It's quite a party. And yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing old friends and making new friends. So let's talk about dilution. And dilution here, of course, when it comes to spirits in Japan, involves something that is known as soft water. Now, maybe you grew up in a zone of the world that had soft water, and therefore you probably didn't think about the water. All that much. It's the folks who grow up in quote unquote hard water zones that probably have to think about their water a lot more. They have to figure out how to soften it. The reason being is that relatively hard water has more minerality, namely magnesium and calcium. While these minerals are good, I mean, they are minerals after all, they are picked up naturally by the water as it filters through soil and runs along rivers and springs. But they can wreak havoc in other ways. They can 
jam up your water pipes and they can leave soap scum just about everywhere that they touch. They don't lather particularly well, so it can be annoying to shampoo your hair if your water is a, from you know a groundwater source that is particularly hard. In brewing and distilling, they create other problems. Stephen? Yeah, well, I think maybe just taking a step back before we even get into how this affects alcohol production, we should just talk a little bit about water more generally. As Christopher mentioned, the hardness of the water is based on the mineral content, and that's really going to be based on what it filters through as it gets down to an aquifer or an underground spring. And of course, we all heard of Evian. We've all heard of Poland Spring. These are famous water sources. These are famed places for water. Many of these sparkling waters are naturally sparkling waters, traditionally from Europe, for example. Mm -hmm. And this was an entire industry back in the 1800s, 1900s, in which people were finding this water, they were bottling it, they were monetizing it. If you are interested in sort of the history, especially from a European perspective about this, I'd recommend Camper English's book called Doctors and Distillers. Yeah, He devotes five pages to famous European water sources and five more to natural sparkling water and all of the purported health benefits. Because as Christopher said, these are minerals, these are actually good for you. And this is where spas came from. You've got European spa towns, right? Famous spa towns in in Germany and in France. Right. There's a city called Spa, mm-hmm. right? There's a city called Bath. Right. These are because of the quality of the water in those regions. For a lot of human history, water wasn't the safest drinking source. Water was contaminated by population density. So you had cooking residue, you had animal residue, you had feces and urination and all these things happening. Yeah. So there's no easy way to put a put a clean point on this. Water was filthy in a lot of areas. And so people would seek out these very pure, rural, remote water sources because it was safe to drink, it was safe to bathe in, uh, and you felt better. Even today here in Japan, when you visit an onsen, and this is a essentially a mineralized bath, this is a hot spring bath, and it's usually famed for whatever its composition is as far as what the minerals are that are in it, you will see health claims right on the wall inside the onsen bathroom. Yeah, right. You're sitting in the tub and on the wall it says, this water is purported to be good for rheumatism and cardiovascular health and arthritis and joint pain and the tremors and all these kinds of of ideas. And they they actually encourage you to drink it. They were like two cups a day. That's what you should be drinking of this water. And you taste it and you can taste the minerality. You can taste the the metals and they feel great on the skin. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't really speak to the health benefits of these things because I don't spend all of my time like in the same bath to say, oh, it cured my whatever, but it really is soothing. I have, especially when I'm exercising heavily, whether it's cycling or running, I have joint pain because I was an athlete for a long time. I've got probably some early arthritis and I soak in those baths and I feel fantastic. It's really refreshing and and helps us recover. That same bathing water is is a lot of the water that we're talking about when it comes to other uses. So I think it's just kind of putting it in that context. And then when you think about Japan, it's a relatively young part of the world geologically. Mm -hmm. That's why there's so many volcanoes. That's why there's so many earthquakes, because it's still developing. It's still growing up out of the ocean. As opposed to, for example, supposedly the eastern coast of the United States, the Smoky Mountains and the Appalachians were apparently at one point as as tall as the, you know, as Everest and and all of the mountains in in Nepal and and in Western China. Mm. So it's just the erosion over millennia has just wiped away what used to be very very imposing peaks. Mm. Uh, but here in Japan, the water 
is quite soft as a result of that new geologic structure that's going through. That plays a lot into the drinks itself. Another reason, at least as it's been explained to me, the reason for a lot of the softness, relative softness of the water. This is not to say that the water doesn't have any minerality. It's just the, you know, the parts per million are much lower than some of the bottled spring water that are so world famous. Part of the reason to get back to my point is that the water is moving so quickly when it hits the ground, often on some sort of slope and then heads through the watershed, either via surface or eventually seeping into the ground and through many layers of sediment and bedrock and, you know, ancient layers of volcanic ash that have turned to stone. And, you know, this is this takes millennia and it leads to whatever the local water, the quote unquote, uh, the source is. But Having said that, even though it does take a lot of time normally, still this water tends to be moving quite quickly because of the sheer up and down nature of the country. There's just not quite as much time for the water to interact with and dissolve the things around it as it moves. So obviously there are sources of harder water in Japan, but as you'll see pretty much in most areas of the world, distilleries, breweries tend to be located near soft water sources. And if they can't do that, then they take actions to soften their own water on premise. That's right. And just maybe for as an example, Evian, right, which is a well-known bottled water from Europe, is actually relatively hard water Mm -hmm. compared to Japanese water. Sure. Right. Which is, it's interesting to think about because as an American, when I drink Evian, it feels soft and smooth to me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have the hardness that I, the minerality that I would expect from, from a hard water. But, Mm -hmm. but you're right. That's what I've, I've heard the exact same thing from, from shochu makers and from sake makers is that because water runs relatively quickly on the very steep slopes and ends up getting down to the aquifer relatively quickly, it doesn't have as much time. Evian brags about the fact that it takes 15 years from the time that the, the the rain or the snow hits the mountain to reaching the underground spring. And in Japan, that tends to happen a lot faster. Mm-hmm. There's less of an opportunity to pick up the minerality that you get. I guess that kind of gives the context of water. And maybe you as a brewer, can you talk about what effect different mineral composition can have on fermentation? Yeah, well, these are nutrients, so there's no desire to have a completely mineral-free water source or strike water. The yeast is affected in different ways by different levels of minerality, but there are comfort zones or sweet spots in terms of the, the milligrams per liter that you're aiming for. If you go too far in either way, you can really screw up the activity of your yeast. And that's a major, major concern for obvious reasons. So what we used to do in the brewery is taste the water at several key points throughout the facility just to make sure that our rinse water was one way and our strike water was another way. We weren't using strike water for everything because it is a precious resource. However, There was certain spillover. We weren't using a well or or anything, but there was some intermingling of the municipal water and then our more pure, what was allegedly a purer water source. And the because we have long cold winters in in Vermont, you know, they would just hit the thing with a cleaning agent that would protect the pipes. 
kind of in the late fall. And I think I've complained about this before on some other episode or maybe on Show Tuesday, but it was always a challenge to try and figure out when they were going to do that so that we could uh, treat the water in a particular way. And then, you know, I'm not going to say bribery was involved, but there may have been some beer that passed hands in order to get updates about a week ahead of time to make sure we had enough clean water to brew with while they were doing that to the pipes. It is remarkable to me, and I know we just talked about this on a Show Tuesday episode, but when I first started kicking around distilleries in Japan, I would often ask about the water. And the beginning and the ending of that conversation was the pride taken in the fact that it's soft water. And that was the end of the discussion from their point. Mm -hmm. And my reaction was always, yeah, but there's a lot of people living around here. Don't you want to sort of kind of check it every once in a while? And for most of these makers, especially the small ones, the thought had not really ever crossed their mind. Well, we know of anecdotal evidence of people moving their distilleries to a new location in order to evade human activity or potential human activity that could affect their water supply. But that is certainly in the minority of cases that we are aware of. In most cases, people are just very happy with their water supply. They seem to believe that it is endless. And it is something that I, I kind of still to this day wonder if people shouldn't think about more. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I do know in some distilleries, they do have dedicated spring water pipes and then the municipal water pipes. I think similar to what you were describing with your brewing experience at Yamato Zakura, anything that's going to touch ingredients or be involved in the fermentation uh, uses the spring water, which is pumped up from underground through their own well. And then anything that's going to be used to clean equipment or hose down the distillery floor or that sort of thing, that's all uh, municipal water right. to preserve the uh, spring water for their shochu. And I do know other distilleries use that approach, but you're absolutely right. We know, for example, I think a, a classic example of this is when Torikai was building out their facility and they spared no expense because they were an old money family from hundreds of years ago. They built their distillery on top of the mountain. Right. Because that was the cleanest water. Precisely. And then they they do all of their kind of dirty, everything that creates a lot of water wastewater, they do down in the valley. And then everything they make down there gets shipped up to the mountaintop for the fermentations. So they do all the dirty stuff and they pollute at the end where it doesn't matter. Pollution is a strong word, I think, in that context, because you're talking about, you know, rice residue and things like that. It's not, it's not toxins. It would be taking away from the purity of the mountain stream that they're using for all of their shikomi mizu or their, or their uh, fermentation waters. Uh, that's just a classic example of, I think, a distillery that took it to the extreme. They truck their their starter fermentation up the mountain and make their main fermentations up up on the mountaintop. So, yeah, bless them, no doubt. And we know others that have, as you said, uh, Ochi in Miyazaki. Yep, he and his father actually moved the distillery because human development near the distillery had compromised their water source, and they're like, "All right, we're out." And they moved. They went and they bought a new piece of property, built a new distillery, and continue to make shochu in that new facility with safe water. But I guess maybe taking a step back, because we got right into a lot of Japan, Japanese shochu sort of things. Mm -hmm. Let's just talk about dilution in general. Yeah. This episode isn't really about the fermentation and about what the water is doing in the fermentation. It's more about dilution, because when you distill a spirit, mm -hmm. what comes off the still contains water because it's not 100% alcohol, but the water that it contains is distilled water. So there is no residual minerality or anything else to speak of. 
other than whatever else was carried over in the distillation. You got the amino acids, the fatty acids, the alcohols, and all of those kinds of things, the congeners. Mm -hmm. But you're not left with the mouthfeel that you would get from drinking the spring water because there is no minerality left over. This happens in virtually every spirits tradition. We talk about cask strength whiskeys, right? Or barrel strength or barrel proof or still strength. These are all undiluted. So that's just distilled alcohol and distilled water and whatever other flavor components are are in there. But those aren't going to have the same mouthfeel or softness as something that has been diluted. Mm -hmm. And that's why virtually all spirits traditions have been diluted traditionally is because that actually is a desirable component. There's almost a fetishization of cask strength whiskey right now. Yeah. But personally, I prefer whiskey that's been diluted. I'd rather drink a 46% scotch than a cask strength scotch. Mm. Yeah, I don't disagree. I want to have more than one drink. (laughs) Fair, fair. So we did a little math and it turns out that Shochu and Awamori, we think of them as low proof spirits because they're only bottled usually at 25 or 30% alcohol. But on average, there isn't that much more dilution than there is for a whiskey or a rum. Right. When you do the math, right? So this is back of the envelope math. Don't hold me to this exactly. But if you were to bottle a whiskey at 46% and it was 70% still strength after double pot, which we have seen that high, yeah, that's been diluted 29%. Mm-hmm. That's the amount of water that's been added to the still strength spirit. And in rum, you actually get a little bit less dilution. I think it tends to be bottled at a higher proof. I assumed about 50% alcohol. Mm -hmm. So that would be a 23% dilution on the rum. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, some rums might be at lower ABV or have lower still strength. But anyway, rums and whiskeys are probably in the the mid to high 20s in the amount of water that's added. And sweet potato shochu is around 32%. Right. It's just a touch above that. Yep. And Awamori also is around 30% because it's usually bottled at 30%. They're not that far off, right? We think of them as heavily diluted, but they're not. The heavily diluted spirits are actually things that are made with column stills. Yeah, absolutely. Vodka is close to 60% water added. Yeah. And then, of course, the worst offender is Korean soju, which is over 80% water added. Yep. Maybe 85%. So that's really, really, that's a huge amount of dilution that goes into those drinks. I don't know about for you, but for me, when I first started down this journey, I felt like, well, I always felt like I had to justify the 25 or the 30. Mm -hmm. But once I actually did this math, I was like, no, it's no different than other pot distilled spirits. It's just lower proof because you're only single pot instead of double or triple pot. Right. Exactly. It is really just in line with the rest of the spirits traditions around the world. In terms of clear spirits, it's the least diluted. I think that that's, that's fair. I actually, I don't know what mezcal comes off the still at or tequila fair it's it's up there though yeah is it it's at least a double pot so yeah they're getting plenty out of that fermentation the mezcal that's on the shelf right next to me i can tell you what it goes into the bottle at anyway Mm -hmm. this is bottled at all right i have to spanish for a second to just give me a moment um uh, 48 percent bottled so I think we can pretty safely assume that this came off the still in the 50s. Right. So that'd be pretty minimal dilution then. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have the still strengths on all of these different spirits traditions, but it is something that's fun to think about, uh, fun to explore. But why don't you maybe give us a little background on kind of the norms of dilution in Shochu and Awamori? Like what are things normally bottled at? Oh, sure. That kind of thing. To many people's surprise, I'm sure 
well, maybe not so more if you've been listening to a lot of these episodes, but there is a lot of bottled shochu and awamori in the United States anyway, and increasingly around the world because people are shipping the same products essentially. But it's bottled at 24% ABV, and that's going to increase thanks to improving, I think we should say, easing of regulations regarding soft and hard licenses, particularly soft liquor licenses in the United States, which is going to allow more 24% ABV show to an awamori to be served in regular restaurants that don't have a bar license. So there's going to be a lot more 24% ABV product. That's what I want to say. That doesn't really happen in Japan normally. In Japan, the floor is 20, but that's really just down in Eastern Kyushu. And then from 20, we go to 25, not 24. 24 is not really a thing here unless somebody's doing it on purpose. It's not to get around some labeling or other law. Like in America, it's actually a a liquor license law. Instead, it's 25. Then after 25, we tend to see a lot of product at 30. And that includes, especially includes Kokuto Sugar Shochu. There's a ton of product that's diluted down to 30% ABV. And then also a lot of awamori. Awamori was often, until very recently, bottled at 30% and 43, 44%, which was basically undiluted. Uh, so you would get some dilution down to 30 and and then the what we would call the still strength product. But pretty much everything outside of that, pretty much, pretty much, pretty much gets bottled at 25%. In terms of the when the dilution happens, it generally happens a little while before bottling. So this is post-aging. Now, this is not a hard and fast rule. I have seen some shochu that is aged diluted, but generally it will go into the aging vessel at whatever the still strength is. And, and we've explained this before, but rice and barley tend to be in the low 40s when they come off the still and they will go into that vat or that pot or sometimes a barrel at in the low 40s. Sweet potato shochu tends to come off the still after a single pot distillation at between 36 and on the high end, 39%, usually somewhere in that zone, and that's how it goes into the aging vat or vessel. And then when they feel that it's rested enough, then they will shift that product into an, a larger vat. They will proof down to their bottled ABV. So if it's a sweet potato shochu, usually it goes from 36, 37, 38 down to 25. So you're bringing the ABV down by 12 or 13 percentage points. That probably sounds like a lot, but as Stephen just explained, when you compare it to other beverages from around the world, it really isn't surprising at all. It's right in there with everybody else. And naturally, the grains will be diluted a little bit more. That's right. With this sweet potato shochu, you're diluting down, you're adding about 30 to 33% water to your uh, your genshu, your undiluted distillate. And then for barley or rice, you might be, if you're going down to 25%, you're adding a little over 40% uh, water, which is a fair amount, but it's still, it's in line with other pot distilled traditions. Another consideration for the shochu makers when they're deciding to do this dilution is how long they let it rest in the dilution tank before bottling. Right. This varies widely. At Yamato Zakura, simply because there isn't a lot of floor space and he doesn't have another dilution tank, Tekan does the dilution and he bottles like within a day or two. Mm-hmm. 
And that's that's his bottling of that product for that period of time. And then he'll be able to sell those bottles. And then he's on to the next product and and he's diluting that. And and basically he's it's almost as people order that it, it's when he starts to bottle different things. He doesn't ever have very much of anything sitting in his warehouse already bottled and ready to ship. Right. But a little bit larger distillery, somebody like Furusawa down in Miyazaki, she's got a, a fair amount of space because her her factory or her workshop or it's almost her house uh, used to be a place where they made sake and soy sauce and miso and all these other things. They were did they did all the different kinds of koji fermentations, and so at her distillery, uh, which we talked about a few weeks ago, a few episodes ago, she usually rests her shochu at least two weeks in a dilution tank before bottling because she wants it to marry. This is the word the Japanese people usually wor- use when they're describing uh, this dilution process. They want the water and the, and the alcohol to get. Uh, mixed in with each other and, and it softens everything up and you get these beautiful expressions and it goes even on longer. I've, we've been to distilleries where it's a 30 day resting period. Right. At Denen distillery, which Christopher and I recently visited, they're well known for playing music to their fermentations, but they also play it in the aging room and they also, where it probably has the biggest effect. Of course, it's going to help with the fermentation, right? Vibration is going to agitate yeast and that sort of thing. But that vibration is going to help that that marriage, that mixing of the water and the and the spirit mm-hmm. at the end. So they're actually playing music into the dilution tanks, which I thought was wild. And they'll have you blind taste diluted shochu that was diluted with the music playing and diluted shochu that was diluted without. And you can actually sense a difference. It's totally different, wasn't it? It's wild. And we all guessed it. It wasn't that we could easily guess... Well, you could guess. You just figured, well, if it's mixing better, that probably means that it's balanced or it's smoother in some sense. And everybody who did that side-by-side tasting guessed correctly which sample was music or orally enhanced in that mm-hmm. sense. And it it was better. We liked it better. It just it tasted nicer. It really did. So they basically accelerate that blending. And they still let it rest for a month listening to music. So that's very, very well integrated by the time they bottle Yeah. So there's all different considerations that the distillers make. And something that Christopher and I have been able to explore is as we've discovered the different regions and learned more about the water sources is how the mouthfeel of that water in the dilution comes into play in the drinking experience. The varying degrees of softness or hardness. There are shochus that I think of as being almost sharp, but not in an alcoholic way. It's sharp in a, it's not soft or rounded way. And then you talk to them and it's like, oh, we use a little bit harder water than other other people. And they're proud of it. That's what they want. That's the expression they're looking for. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the other end of the spectrum where you've got distilleries who use really, really, really soft water mm-hmm. or water that gives a really interesting mouthfeel. And that, again, is distinct to that that uh, spring water that, that they're using for dilution. Right. Do you have any examples that you come to mind of distilleries that are like that? Well, yeah, I mean... Tensei is very happy with their water because apparently it is the softest in, if it's not Osumi Hanto, it might be the entirety of Kagoshima Prefecture. He once took, Takaya-san once took me to the source, at least where the source of where it initially bubbles to the surface. There's a spring where it's famous for being one of the places that the water makes its way all the way up and you don't have to bore down to get it. So yeah, he he was very proud of the softness of that water, and apparently it's ranked nationally. There's a another nationally ranked water on the Osumi Peninsula of Kagoshima, and that's called Zaiho, 
It's a very famous brand of mineral water that is bottled and shipped all over the country. Yes, there are some shochu brands that are made with it. And I have it shipped to my home for mixing with a big old vessels of it for mixing with my oyuari. And I think it's really nice. In fact, when we go to Yokaban down in Kagoshima, there actually is a vending machine out in the street in the, you know, the covered arcade shopping arcade that is exclusively for vending Zaiho bottles of, of water. It's pretty well, it's revered. Yeah. And that's, a, that's incredible water. And whenever I find it, I feel quite lucky. I actually realized that there's a grocery store near me that carries the Shibushi water, the spring water from Shibushi, which is in that very soft region where, where Tensei is. Ooh. And it's 70 yen a bottle. Nice. Current exchange rates, that's 53 cents per bottle of water. It's really, really... That's nuts. I mean, we should just feel so fortunate that we have access to this beautiful, soft water for, for such uh, incredible prices. You just worry, like, how can they make a profit on that? Yeah, no, it's true. But they, they do sort of feel like it's endless. Like it's just, well, we got to charge something for it, but. It is, it is. I think another one uh, is is Koshiki, right? Off, off uh, the coast, the Western coast of Kagoshima. Sure. Uh, only two distilleries, a couple of our favorite distilleries, uh, Shiota and uh, Yoshinaga. Yep. Uh, and their shochu has a very distinct flavor and aroma profile and a specific softness. And the, the Koshiki water, the, it's the firefly water, right? That's, it's so pure that fireflies flock to it, which you, you know your water source is good when you've got fireflies because they don't like pollutants. They don't like chemicals. Right. That Koshiki water is, is beautiful. It's, it's actually, yeah. they found the spring. It's something like close to a half a kilometer underground there on the islands. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful water. And makes that very unique shochu. And in many ways, this water is the terroir, right? That shochu can only be made on that island with that water. And we've covered terroir in Japanese spirits. We did it in episode 46, if you'd like to give a listen. Right. And the water is an aspect of that. It's something that shouldn't be overlooked. It shouldn't be ignored. Absolutely. There's a commonality to the sweet potato shochu products made by Yoshinaga. And it, even though there's different islands, they are technically separated by water, but Yoshinaga and Shiota both have beautiful sweet potato shochu products and they have a common kind of depth to them. There's a kind of a chocolatey note mm -hmm. in those shochu brands that I don't get really from anywhere else or not in the same way. And the, one of the explanations could very well be the purity of that water source. I always land on it every time I have a glass of Rokudai Meiyuri or a glass of Goro, which is made by uh, Yoshinaga in the South. Mm -hmm. It's just, they both have that note, which is not apparent in most other products. Yeah. And it, it really is endless with, you know, what, 400 or so active distilleries throughout Japan making shochu and awamori. And they are all using their local spring water, their local strike water. And I've not been to many distilleries, at least on the smaller scale, that do any treatment of their water. They're using what's coming up out of the ground. Mm -hmm. So it really is as close to nature as it can be. Uh, and that matters, I think. Yep. So I have a little, ex little experiment. Absolutely. I like to give class assignments. Okay. So what I would like folks to do, uh, our listeners, is find a relatively undiluted shochu. If you can find a genshu undiluted, great. Otherwise, something that maybe has a little bit of dilution, but is mostly distillate. So something maybe in the 35 plus range, 
it can mean Owl Morty as well. It works either way. But take that and dilute it 50-50 with, let's say, three different waters. Mm. Take an Evian, take a Poland spring or whatever your favorite American spring water is, and then maybe a third water. Yeah, like your tap water. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great choice. Choose your tap water or get some distilled water. Distilled water is probably the least in- interesting because it'll, again, not have any minerality. But yeah, that's great. So Evian, Poland Spring, and your tap water. And make a Maiwadi. Do 50-50 dilution and put them in identical containers and put them away for a couple of days and open them up and try them. Maybe for a couple of weeks, right? Do the Fudasawa method. Mm-hmm. Let it rest for two weeks in a quiet place and, and then uh, bring it back out and, and try them and see how the different water influences the product. And I think you'll see exactly why both dilution and the source of dilution are so important. Absolutely. Good. So drink more water, folks. That's why Mizuwari and Oyuwari are such great serves. I mean, it should be everybody's hobby and point uh, raison d'etre to go pee like 10 times a day should be a game so uh it does a body good so steven are you sipping on anything i am i took my own advice with my little experiment now i didn't take three waters i took one water but in my refrigerator i had a bottle of koshiki water oh geez we went in the same direction so (laughs) The water from Koshiki Island is, as we were mentioning earlier, uh, Rokudai Miyuri or Goro from Shiota or Yoshinaga. And I did a 50-50 dilution with a Genshu. I took a sweet potato shochu from Oishi Distillery in Kagoshima. Not Oishi that makes the rice whiskeys, but the one uh, from down down south. Uh-huh. It's called Kura Junsui. So pure Kura. Oh, nice. This is a Genshu. It's actually 41% alcohol. Uh, so r- pretty high for a sweet potato. So they cut a little bit early. Very high. It's lovely. It's it's great to drink on its own, but I was curious about it with dilution. And so I did a 50-50 water split with the Koshiki spring water. And I don't know if it's if it's because I'm suggestible, but I almost feel like I get a hint of the chocolate notes that you get from the, the island show cheese. Huh. I'm going to let it rest for a while. I, I made a big glass of it. This will probably last me for the rest of the day, into the evening and into the night. And I'm going to let it sit here and see how it changes. How about you? Well, yeah, that was, I didn't think we were going to get over into the Koshiki Island so furtively, but um, <laughs> I am actually drinking Goro. So, huh? and just last week, uh, a gentleman named Garrett Ryan mentioned that we don't shout out any Honkaku products on here, which he found to be pretty kind of a little bit surprising. So I am here, I am actually shouting one out. This is a Honkaku Spirits sweet potato shochu product made by Yoshinaga. And it's a 25% ABV sweet potato shochu made on the southern more of the main Koshiki Islands. And uh, it's it's lovely. It is. That's a, a beautiful shochu for sure. A little easier to find than Nokudaimi Yuri. Just only just. Not something you're going to find in your average convenience store or liquor store around Japan. Something you got to you gotta seek out a little bit. Right. They don't make a whole lot of it. That's for sure. They do not. Oh, that's a good one. That's, that is funny. We both ended up in Koshiki. I know. <laughs> so where is this Oishi distillery? You just visited them recently, right? They're, they're in kind of the Satsuma Sendai area. Okay. Out near kind of Yamamoto, Denen. Yeah, they're south of there. I get, yeah, yeah. But you're in the right part of Kagoshima, kind of northwest, I guess you could say. 
Probably not too far from Yamatazakura, huh? I could make a trip out there sometime. Not terribly far at all. No, it's not that far from Ichiki at all. And good people making good shochu. Uh, another one that if you have a chance to visit, I think I would highly recommend it. They do a lot of interesting stuff there. Nice. Great. Yeah, this is an uh, overdue episode. Thank you for uh, uh, taking the time to talk water with me, Christopher. Absolutely. I'm always excited about water. I love to use the toilet as many times as I can. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all very much for listening. If you have not already, then please consider rating and reviewing the Japan Distilled podcast wherever you enjoy listening to it. It really does help others to find the show. And please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. You can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. As for me, you can reach out to me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. And please check out our website, japandistilled.com, for the show notes on this and every episode. I promise they're not written by AI. I draft every single one of them. Also, please tune into our Japan Distilled Show Tuesday, every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern and uh, 10 a.m. Wednesday here in Japan. And of course, don't forget to sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash japandistilled. Kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. 